This month, we're trying not to spit out our dummies as we look at scary puppets and creepy dolls. So crack open a gottle of gear and throw a Barbie on the Barbie. Hello, Dolly. You are listening to the Devil Times Five Horror <laughs> Podcast, and this is episode 66, which means we're a mere 600 shows away from the number of the beast. So make sure you put May 2072 in your diary because it's going to be a very special episode. Uh, but back to the present. Um, I'm Cliff, and this month we'll be trying not to get too freaked out by a variety of strange looking, dead eyed, human like figures with very inhuman thoughts. Look, Emily, Bryony, and CJ. Hello. I have to ask, otherwise it'd be a dereliction of duty. Who are your favourite non-horror puppets or dolls before we get into the good stuff? I was always partial to Badger of Bodger and Badger. Oh, yeah. Um, good choice. Classic. Got to see them on the end of Worthing Pier in the theatre once. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, got to see them in the pub looking sad. I didn't say then. Badger was looking sad as well. Well, yeah. I mean, they're double act, aren't they? Um, but yeah, I always loved Bodger and Badger. So it's a real shame to see the downfall of Bodger and Badger. Um, which makes you think that maybe Badger was haunted or cursed or something. It was Bodger that died, wasn't it? Not Badger. Well, Badger is dead with Bodger, isn't he? Well, someone's actually bought back Badger on um, on TikTok. What? What? Like with a Ouija board or something? (laughs) Is it just Badger crying and going, why is no one amused by my mashed potato antics? (laughs) I don't want any fucking mashed potatoes. I just want Bodger. (laughs) I bet when Bodger died, someone drew a little cartoon of Badger being sad. Put on Facebook. Oh, they do yeah. that for everybody who dies, though, don't they? Like, yeah, I'm sure they did a sad bagpuss for bagpuss. They did a really sad uh, Wallace and Gromit one with Gromit at Wallace's grave, which oh, was God. Oh, yeah, fucking depressing. Oh, has Peter Silas died? Yeah. yeah. Has he? Ages ago, yeah. Three years, three or four years ago now. Oh, right. So has he got a new voice now? Yep, Ben Whitehead. Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> He's dead as well now. He's, He's dead, dead as well, so. He is. <laughs> Gromit's got to visit two graves now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, now it's time to that'll be for that. Uh, well, now it's time to stick our hand up the arse of the highs and lows section and see what comes out of its mouth. That is, uh, Bryony, you can start. Oh, hello. Um, I feel like I'm living in a horror film because currently I look like an extra from the film Contagion. Um, wear sunscreen. Uh, and I'm currently in Dorset on holiday, but I went for a cigarette last night and realised I was on the set of my high for this month, men. Yeah. Um, because there's a spooky dark tree outside and I swear I saw a man. Was it Rory Kinnear? It was not Rory Kinnear, it was just my partner. It was terrifying. Uh, no, <laughs> Rory Kinnear is brilliant in it. It's very, oh, I'm Alex Garland, isn't nature weird? But I like that. And yeah, I saw it with you, Cliff, and uh, I think you saw my face towards the end. Uh, mouth was agape for yeah. about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. It's almost League of Gentlemen-esque um, with some of Kinnear's performances, uh, but really worth it just, just for that ending sequence. It is very good. I wish the effects were not CGI, though. Yeah, though the CGI was dog shit. Like, yeah. the child, child Kinnear was just hilarious. Was <laughs> what just... you need is proper gloopy society-style prosthetic effects for that kind of thing at the end. I don't know, I quite like the, 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 the gapingness and the... the it's not much I can say without spoiling it. I mean, just like, there were some openings, and I liked, <laughs> I liked the openings. They were good openings. Good. Yes. Film. Uh, you got a low? Uh, yes, I 
didn't watch all the films on this month's list because I fucking hate puppets and dolls. I don't think they're scary. I watched as many as I could. What the fuck was that? That was me. I was horrified. I love puppets. I didn't even answer the who's your favourite puppet question because I fucking love them all. Every fucking puppet, I love them. They're not fucking scary, right? And then half the films weren't actually about fucking puppets. So I was like, well, I've watched as many as I can stand. And then one happened to be on Netflix was Annabelle Comes Home, which was not on the list. Why was it not on the list? Well, the reason it wasn't on the list was because Luke said it's more of a haunted house movie than a haunted puppy, haunted puppet puppy movie none of the Annabelle films are about a fucking doll no <laughs> yeah. it felt like an episode of Star Trek like a Hang filler on, Riley, episode save this, save this for the end oh okay anyway that's, that's Malone did you just say because I, I started my sentence with it reminds me of an episode of Star Trek and then you stopped me is this a ploy to stop me <laughs> <laughs> Or is this legit? You want us? This is good shit. Save it for the end. Yeah, save your Star Trek stuff for later. That's 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 what people stay tuned for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that and my sweet, sweet music style. <laughs> yeah, that. Right, Luke. <laughs> Men is my high as well, and my low is dash cam. Um, I was excited for because Rob Savage, I really liked host, but dash cam. Annie Hardy is just playing herself because this is how she is in real life. I thought, oh, it's a film about an anti-vaxxer, anti-masker. It's going to be satire. And then you look at her Twitter in real life and she's the exact same. And I was like, I can't. Um, like, I, I really like the set pieces and I wanted to like the gore of it. But annoyingly, it does this thing of a practical effect happens, but it's just shaky cam. Yeah. And it seems like they've put loads of time into doing that practical effect just for you to not really see it. And the main character annoyed me the most did you see it at the cinema uh, no no i just watched it on streaming oh right because i was wondering how it because um, i saw it at cinema i, I wondered if you can figure out what's going on when you're watching it on a small screen but i could see what was happening but there's one part where that a woman smashes through a mirror and the guy mm-hmm. gets his whole throat ripped out and like because of it shaking so much i think it took away from what could have been really really great yeah yeah it's definitely my low for the month as well i'm afraid right, okay. <laughs> i cannot really imagine things getting much lower than the dash cam it was uh <laughs> appalling like I, th- I thought it was just a really bad horror film on so many levels like it was barely coherent like Luke says the shaky cam kind of ruins any visual impact uh, and I just did not understand why they made it and then when I found out that Annie Hardy is actually like that she is not satire it made it make even less sense I'm like why did you why I, all I can think is that Rob Savage is just a huge fan of her former band, Giant Drag, and just somehow wanted to make a movie with her. Maybe, maybe he has a crush on her. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But it's, it's a fucking mess, like absolute mess. I really enjoyed it, and you know, I don't really like found footage. And the things I don't like about found footage was what I was pushing back on because, like. Yeah, all that shaky cam. It's like, well, I've just kind of come on, you just film this properly so I can see what's going on. But I thought Annie Hardy was so funny, as objectionable as her views are. I thought she was really funny and lovable with it in a weird way. I don't know. It's an interesting thing to try and do to your audience is, you know, I'm all for kind of empathising with viewpoints that I maybe don't agree with. And I think, you know, that's something that we could all probably learn to do a bit more. But I think just unapologetically having her being her, but making her funny and cute seems a little bit dangerous in a way and not not in a good danger way but in a like what is this toxic message that you're promoting because i've seen lots of reviews where people say oh i came to love her by the end and it's mm. like, yeah but she is not a good person uh emily 
Well, my high is Castle Freak. The new one or the original? The 90s one. Stuart Gordon. Yes, that's right. And also Charles Band Productions, so he's kind of responsible for some of the the 80s puppet stuff that we're going to talk about. It's clearly a film that came into being because somebody did a cool poster, but that's okay. So like literally Stuart Gordon saw the poster design and went, I'll direct that if it definitely has a castle and it definitely has a freak in it. And it does. (laughs) And it's also got Jeffrey Coombs and Barbara Crampton and... um, Oh, nice. It's quite silly, but it does exactly what it sets out to do. Bits of it are kind of a bit icky, but, you know, that's sort of what you expect. And I think just by way of an apology, by the way, when I chose Creepy Puppets and Dolls, I was expecting to discover a lot more movies like the one I chose as the feature. I did not realise there was this whole run of very, very shit films that were made in the early 2000s. I I had no idea. But um, Castle Freak was kind of a nice palate cleanser after all of those. And my low, which is kind of related to what I've just been talking about, up until this month, I'd never seen any films in the Conjuring universe. Oh. I just was like, "Uh, not really sure that appeals. That looks a bit dull. And then I watched the first Conjuring movie and I absolutely hated it. Oh, Oh, no, I quite enjoy it. It's two hours long. It's basically really religious propaganda and also once you know what absolute assholes the oh, warrens absolutely. are yeah. yeah you're just like why are these people being held up as oh look their perfect love and marriage and faith kept the spoopy person away Ooh. it yeah, gets yeah, worse yeah. as it goes on they yeah, really generate them i don't want to watch yeah. the second one because that's the enfield poltergeist one and that's a case that i know a little bit more about but aside from any kind of moral objections i just thought it was badly paced it was too long the color palette is really boring everything is that really really dull shade of gray and um it's got lily taylor in it as the mum of the family and she's a brilliant actress and she gets fuck all to do even when she she's possessed it's not very interesting so yeah i thought it was a pile of wank um <laughs> that's my uh, that's my considered opinion yeah it is the only one of those films that i like the rest of them just it's... shit and yes i absolutely agree about the warrens i mean they're assholes yeah what's their deal are we going to talk about this they're con artists uh, oh, okay. preying on the, the bereaved vulnerable people i know one of them's got shit hair because i did look that up if you haven't seen my amityville horror that's about how they messed with the family that lived oh, in the okay. amityville house oh watch that then but they did it repeatedly like they made a living out of being horrible horrible people cool <laughs> All right, I'll go next. Um, my low is a 1971 film called Inquisition, directed Aww. and yeah, directed by the star and Paul Nashie, who you love, CJ. But I don't think I've ever enjoyed a Paul Nashie film. <laughs> you oh, wounded me like an arrow through my heart. I just don't think he's very charismatic or a good filmmaker. Um, it's a kind of Mark of the Devil, Witchfinder General ripoff, but it gets it all wrong by doing that thing of saying, "Oh, weren't the uh, witch trials awful?" But they were fucking witches, and they were. You know, sleeping with demons and all that. So, um, and the moral of Inquisition seems to be well, it's better to be cavorting with the devil than to be a fundamentalist Christian persecuting these women, which, I, you know, fair enough, apart from the fact that these women were innocent victims of horrible misogyny and not cavorting with any kind of demons at all. I mean, there, were there's you a couple expecting of. To... Sorry, it's a really shit joke. Were you expecting to dislike the Inquisition? No, <laughs> that's, that's not that's not the reference it's expect not like oh well <laughs> nobody likes the Spanish <laughs> <laughs> that sounded really smooth in my head and then you all paused and I was like you know when when things leave your mouth and you're like why why is this leaving my mouth <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah there's, there's one or two like really nasty torture scenes in it which is what you watch it for really but um, are you familiar with this one CJ yeah yeah of course yeah. I mean, it was his first film that he directed. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, it's nowhere near his best, but it's a banger. It's got a spooky goat 
What more? <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is what I'm here for the cavorting with demons. You know, I just want to see some cavorting, and, and Nashi always delivers. Uh, my High is a new film, Escovot's The Innocents, which um, a couple of months ago, my high was Thelma, which he co wrote, which was a Norwegian film about a telekinetic teenage girl this is a film about telekinetic and telepathic children four of them who meet in a playground they're kind of outcasts one of them's non-verbal autistic and i had to, um, I had to turn this off because of what you just said because it's a, um, a neurotypical actress playing non-verbal autistic and doing it horribly and does autism as a superpower again. Oh, she's the, she's the strongest of the group. Yeah, okay. I can see how the bit where the girl that she becomes friends with enables her to start speaking can be seen as problematic, sure. <laughs> uh, but, but the point is, one of the kids is a psychopath and he uses his powers for evil to harm people, to possess people. And what struck me was that this could easily just be a college campus. They could be like 18, 19 year old kids and you'd have exactly the same story. But because they're all nine and 10 years old, the sight of them hurting each other and hurting other people is so horrible. It's, it's amazing. Um, it it's really hits hard. It's great. The only thing that bothered me is with all the interviews of the director, the reason he had the autistic character in the film is because he had read one article about a mum who said that her son was verbal until the age of four yeah, yeah, and yeah. then became non-verbal and a child being non-verbal was a horror movie to him. And I'm like, fuck off. That's not... <laughs> why treat autism like that? I think that's just the reason it bothered me. Like, it just didn't sit right with me that that's the reason you would write a character. Yes, there are non-verbal people that act how the character does act in this film, mm-hmm. but I'm sort of getting fed up of it's being played by people that aren't autistic. And it just comes off as wrong. Like, I know actors and actresses can play any any role, but it's just that we've had quite a few films over the past few years that have had non-verbal autistic characters and just treated them really badly, like the way they do in this film at first. And that's why it annoyed me. Is it as bad as that Predator film where, like, the autistic kid is the most brilliant kid and the aliens are like, we need that autistic kid? Um, and CJ, you're low dash cam, you said, and got a high. Yeah, my high was rewatching Spookies, which is a film from 1986, which I was obsessed with as a young child because it was one of the few 18 rated movies that I was allowed to watch because it has no sex, no nudity. So it's fine. The fact that people get chopped up and eyes pop out, no problem, no sex. So it was suitable. So did your parents watch it before to check? Yeah, they always used to watch all the oh, tapes. I'm sure they loved that. Yeah. I, it's an odd thought. They used to leave the videotape out on top of the VCR if I could watch it. Uh, oh, right. And if I couldn't, they would not leave the tape out. Uh, and Spookies was one of the few that they left out. So I watched that over and over again. I, I was so into it. I was so scared to come back to it because I don't think I'd watched it since I was a little kid. Uh, oh, that's and I, charming. Yeah, well, I've since read that it was two films spliced yeah. into one because they yeah, couldn't finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I thought, oh, nothing could be the crazy monster fest that my child mind thought it was because surely that was just an overactive imagination, too many E-numbers. But I watched it, and it really was exactly like how I remember it. It's just non-stop monster mayhem, and it's amazing. It's very cute. Yeah, it is. I don't know why I never rented it. I think, I basically think the box art made me think that it was really stupid. The box 
Oh, that's amazing. It literally says, featuring the Muckmen. Yeah, yeah. How could you not want to know what the Muckmen were? <laughs> I didn't want to know what the Muckmen were. Oh, no, they're, they're just like big piles of mud and they fart. That's all they do. Yeah, they fart, yeah. Um, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. It's fine. I just I just wish it was Italian. It, it needs that Italian touch. But it's got that Italian vibe so much. Like the lighting, the dry ice, the gothic set design, the you know gravestones and candles everywhere. It's... Sure, but then the camera work's really boring. The music's really boring and the um, performances don't have that just that special weirdly touch the music only gets going at the end yeah uh, for the zombie attack yeah yeah uh, that, uh, but that's good music yeah that bit i was like well where's this composer come from what's he been doing all, all the rest of the film <laughs> it's not as bad as you would think from a film that was made for virtually nothing and, and chopped up into like a, a new film uh, the special effects are incredible. Yeah, well, it's got Gabe Batalos, who Frank Henelotter's guy, and it's got um, and Jennifer, Jennifer Aspinall, Aspinall Street Trash. Yeah. So, yeah, and you can you can really tell it's her style. Like some of the the corpses with the the funny teeth, they look just like the melted Street yeah. Trash corpses. It's just, it's just a great movie. Oh, there's a couple Love of that. good Evil Dead style meltings as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Carol, the character who picks up the Ouija board, she is pure Evil Dead ghoul with a mm. you know wonky zombie face. It's it's oh, it's just yeah. perfect. It's like a greatest hits. It's like everything I've ever loved in a horror movie. I'm glad I've finally watched it, but um, <laughs> didn't live up to the hype that you've been giving it the last few days for me. But... I, I'm sorry. I, I, I apologise <laughs> for overhyping it. it. It was just weird watching it. Felt like kind of seeing my own personality constructed. It, it was like, oh, this film is is a big reason for why I am the way I am. <laughs> Did you shut down halfway through your life and then just completely reinvent yourself as something different and, and try? Yes, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah. Cool. Weirdly enough, yes. <laughs> All right, they were our highs and lows. Now, as Bella Lugosi once memorably said, pull the strings. Dull cocks, dull bumholes, dull tits and muffs, all the different bits. Sorry, was that an alternate take of dull parts? I'm not aware of those lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> The thing about right, because we postponed our recording for a couple of days, I, I've I've had the uh, chance to write a second draft of this script, and um, I'm not going to say I entirely took that chance. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's in here. I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> anyway, our first feature is a true doll exploitation classic with one of the best ever horror movie poster designs from 1986. Stuart Gordon's succinctly titled "Dolls." It looked like a safe haven from the raging storm. Their hosts seemed like the essence of hospitality. You can stay here as long as you like. Wonderful. But appearances can be very deceiving. <laughs> I'm a doll maker. I make the most wonderful toys. Nobody wants a doll that's special anymore, that's one of a kind. The weather brings out creativity. It helps me in my work. What kind of work is that? Witchcraft? <laughs> dolls. You're never too old to play with dolls. Until you're dead. Dolls. Somewhere in Europe, a bickering family, two petty criminals and a hapless American chump take shelter at a mansion belonging to two elderly toy makers. 
and witches. Witches, witches, witches. Um, at this point, um, I just want to point out, right, that uh, my wife, Deb, um, repeatedly tells me that I can't pronounce the word dolls properly. Um, and it's made me really think, can I genuinely not pronounce the word dolls? But anyway, I realize I say it without an L. I don't know why. There you go. I hope it doesn't affect your enjoyment. Oh, this is really going to affect my performance because all I'm going to be listening for you saying dolls now. You said performance, and I, I can just hear Cliff keeps accusing me of saying performance. <laughs> and, now, and now he's saying doors instead of dolls. So, um... I'm not saying doors, I'm saying dolls. <laughs> dolls. 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 I feel like all words have lost meaning. <laughs> dolls. Um, yeah, but that poster art, eh? That freaked me out when I was a kid. I used yeah. to actually avoid one bit of the, the horror section in the video shop. Oh, I had it on my bedroom wall. Maybe I would have got a bit desensitized to it if I'd seen that. But um, I actually only watched this film for the first time a couple of years ago, just because I love Stuart Gordon's other stuff. And mm. um, yeah, absolutely bloody love it. It's a film that I've um, watched time and time again over the mm. years. And like I've, I've mostly come away from it thinking, this is a bit shit, isn't it? But it's so rewatchable. It's yeah, so it's lovable. It's great. Each and every character was so over the top. Yeah. <laughs> like the evil stepmom chucking a bear into the forest. Like, <laughs> why are they so mean? The stepmom and the dad are like cartoon yuppies. They're actually not dissimilar yeah. to like Winona Ryder's parents in Beetlejuice. Mm. Yeah. That kind of like campy, waspish, you know, she's putting on like a silk turban to go to bed in kind well, of thing. That was definitely a, an 80s villain, wasn't it? The the yuppie. They clearly hate the imagination and all the stuff that the little girl likes yeah. and the um mm. the big doofy guy likes. So they're really the villains. I mean, the, the trailer's a little bit misleading because that kind of was like, oh, the spooky toy makers. Yeah, they are spooky. But what I love about it is it's got this sort of fairy tale quality in that the magic people aren't necessarily evil. Yeah, they do some horrible shit, but they do some horrible shit to people who are being dickheads. Well, the little kids reading Hansel and Gretel at the start, yeah. which is, you know, yeah. foreshadowing. Yes. Spooky <laughs> foreshadowing. It's such a silly film, but somehow it gets really dark as well. And I think mm. that's what I love about it. The silliness, but also knows how to be serious when all the dolls are going full mayhem on <laughs> everyone. The doll stop motion is incredible. Yeah. You have to wait a long time. It's 48 minutes before they attack. But... Yeah, I love stop motion stuff anyway, but it's yeah. it's it's very, very good at conveying a sense of the uncanny and the sense yeah. of something that shouldn't move but is moving and that being a kind of a weird thing to look at. I think Stuart Gordon was, was such a incredible director, like really underrated because he worked with subject matter that was quite like outrageous and flamboyant. And I, I think a lot of people think that that means he's not a serious director. But you look at these three movies that he made mm. all in the space like a year and a bit mm. and they're incredible and they're incredible in different ways like Reanimate is so dark but obviously funny as well From Beyond is just descent into absolute madness uh, and then Dolls is kind of his take on your sort of classic gothic fairy tale style horror but he does it again he just hits that tone of comedy and horror where mm. he can take something really really nasty and make it funny or take something really really funny and make it nasty like when the dolls attack and suddenly they whip out tiny little tools yeah. <laughs> like when the hacksaw that's like slowly soaring through through the woman's wrist uh, and it's just like 
on one hand, that's hilarious because these dolls have whipped out a tiny hacksaw. But on the other, that's fucking horrible. Like, you know, the, the sort of excruciating, long slicing because it takes so long to do it with a small hacksaw. And it's just little things like that that are just great. You're watching it and you're just like, oh, God, this is really quite grim. Like the sawing through mm-hmm. tendons and like being stabbed by teeny tiny knives. But because yeah. they're so teeny weeny and, and made of dolls, how do they get her back into bed? Are they very strong dolls? <laughs> I think it's just it's a lot of them. It's like ants. They can all like lift yeah. a lot when they put them together. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned like how all the characters are over the top. All the actors perform the over the topness in very different ways. Like mm-hmm. I think um, Guy Rolf and Henry Mason, who play the, the old toy makers, uh, they judge it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've got the guy who plays Ralph, who I mean. Fucking just calm it down, man. It's so annoying. No, he reminds me of, um, is it Sean Astin? From Lord of the Rings, from Encino Man. He's in Stranger Things. He was like an 80s actor. He was like... Don't expect me to know anything about anyone who's in Stranger Things. It was only like last week that I found out that Millie Bobby Brown isn't Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston's daughter, which I always assumed whenever I heard the name. <laughs> But yes, that kind of like eighties, like doofus, like he's like, a doofus, lovable. but not. It, it, there's a bit of a heart to his performances. It's yeah. not just God. This guy's an annoying pillow. There's a kind of a oh yeah, he's he's a solid guy. He's on the floor and he's like, what's going on? They're like they're trying to figure out if you're a, a an adult or a child in disguise. And he's like I'm trying to figure it out for ages. Tell you what he is. Mm. He's a pedo. He's a pedo. <laughs> he's a fucking pedo. <laughs> the reason the dolls let him off is because they're evil. <laughs> You've missed the point of the film. Devoid of uh, joy, Cliff. The way that that particular bit is done could be really creepy, or it could be out and out, oh, yeah, he is a pedo. But <laughs> the only person that even remotely suggests that an adult who very much leans into childhood could be dodgy is the creepy yuppie dad within the film. Mm. And me. And you, yeah. But the, the whole message of the film is kind of holding on to that like, sense of childhood wonder yeah. and imagination. And, and I feel like the fact that we're encouraged not to is purely kind of what drives capitalist, patriarchal yeah. society, kind of keeps us in our place, keeps us scared to really express ourselves because somebody might say, oh, you're a pedo or, or whatever else. All I'm saying is he reminds me of Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> let's moonwalk into the next section. <laughs> this film, unlike Spookies, does actually get that Italian touch, right? And is it just because it was filmed in Italy? But it had an Italian crew mostly, didn't it? I yeah, think. yes. All those like Empire ones in the eighties. That mm. so that's probably why. Did you enjoy the Cockney punks? Fucking hell! So Cassie Stewart, <laughs> she's convincing, and then Bunty Bailey, who's the girl from the Aha Take on Me video. What the fuck is that accent? She's so awful. But then I don't think there's ever been a real working class person called Bunty in the history of the world. So <laughs> Bunty no. Bailey does sound like a sort of pulp fiction about a kind of like lesbian detective in the 30s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, which is a much, much more interesting story than, yeah, she was in the Take On Me video. And then in this, well, are they meant, they are kind of meant to be punks, but she's dressed a bit more in a kind of desperately seeking Susan kind of yeah, uh, vibe. Kind I, of I, quite like, I quite like her outfit, actually. And the music that they're playing, they're like, we like the music. It's more kind of psycho billy it's um it's a bit weird i think their punk wardrobe is more convincing than to talk about spookies again the hard guy in that who just seems to walk around in a bin bag i don't know why he's... <laughs> <laughs> it's an immaculately tailored bin bag though <laughs> like it's it's got like little shoulder pads in it and everything and yes it is clearly a bin bag but he's, he's cut it well he's doing the most with what he can and that 
That is punk. <laughs> I just wish there were more kills because the kill scenes are so good. But I guess like they made this before From Beyond, but then it got released third because the effect sequences took yeah. so long to do. So, you know, I guess it had the more victims but, in it, it just would have uh, come out of the years. there's enough victims. I mean, at least, you know, there is a house full of people who get killed. Whereas you mm-hmm. watch horror films now and they always start out and it's like, oh, God. This is just going to be two characters and neither of them are going to die. All right, maybe not more kills in this film, but some sequels would have been nice, maybe. There was meant to be a sequel. The company went under, I think. Yeah. Well, it went under and then got reborn as mm. Full Moon and then Bam decided that he was going to basically do dolls again, but shit. Over and over <laughs> and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, Charles Bam went way off the boil as time went on. Well, I mean, the Puppet Master series is about to release its 15th instalment. Yeah. Um, we only looked Christ. at the first Puppet Master film for this uh, because we're not completely fucking insane. Um, <laughs> I mean, the bits with the puppets are fun. The bits with the puppets are very, very good. And the female puppet that coughs up leeches is... Yeah, yeah she's kind great. of mental. But the rest of it is very, very dull. So you spend the whole of the time going, no, just bring back the puppets. It was very Garth Barangi. I know we always reference yes, Garth Barangi on this. Yeah. But it was like the acting, the, mm. oh, I've had a vision. Oh, I've touched a bed and I can feel people have had sex on this bed. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> mm. You're in a hotel. When it starts off, that opening scene's amazing, where he's about to be captured by the Nazis, so he puts all his mm. favourite sentient puppets into a trunk and then kills himself, and it's like, whoa, this is very dramatic and powerful opening sequence, and you kind of feel like at some point the puppets are going to take revenge for him, and that's going to be your plot. But instead, you end up with this convoluted nonsense with like however many weird semi-fraudulent psychics gathering in a house to do something that's not entirely clear because uh, oh, a man is dead but he's, he's maybe not dead and then there's a lady she's got a dog who's dead and then there's a sex yeah. lady and the man has sex with the sex lady and then there's a puppet and the puppet looks at the sex lady and his eyes goes oh because it's a sex lady and then there's another puppet Who's got a tiny, tiny head, but human hands. <laughs> <laughs> when, when they have sex, when the sex lady has sex with her, her bloke, there's sex. like three layers of clothing and bed sheets between mm. them. Yeah, yeah, she's riding him, but like her, her crotch is basically on his kneecaps. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I've got really sensitive knees. I just assumed that was their kink. Knee very, very specific. Knee well, fucking. He, he thinks mm. the sound of someone vomiting up a leech is is a sexual. Noise, but also, so. also <laughs> the puppet's got teeny tiny hands and a tiny mouth, and a pup, it's like a puppet mouth on your nipple. Feels a little bit different to a sex lady mouth. <laughs> not that I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not the first time he had a puppet on his on his nipple. Oh god, and the puppets all like nah, and it's just. <laughs> I know you've got like a a blindfold on, but your 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 sex lady's just been murdered by a drill. I mean, she was very polite and quiet about it, but you'd you probably <laughs> realise that mm. she's dead and there's a tiny puppet wanking you off. Like, I mean, yeah, that's obviously, obviously oh, what's happening. <laughs> I'd know if a puppet was wanking me off. It's just something you'd know. <laughs> it's something I had a real issue with in this film. Is this why you like Badger? Has this happened? <laughs> 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 that's so dark that's so dark don't does your fanny smell like mashed potato oh. <laughs> oh. no it doesn't smell like mashed potato it feels like mashed potato oh. <laughs> the advantage of a glove puppet though you can just pop it in the washing machine afterwards oh. Oh. <laughs> if you want to go full on you get the finger puppets out 
Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Luke, we're about to... Um, I don't even know what I was going to say. <laughs> I think, well, I think the, lo- the location of this film is the wrong pick. The hotel. Even with the... Is it the Littlest Reich or whatever that one was? Really far mm. into the franchise? Yeah. They, some, they still set that in a hotel. And I don't know why they yeah. kept on loving setting these Puppet Master movies in a hotel. It just I feel like this first one would have worked better if it was just them going to people's houses and getting revenge mm. on the people in the houses. I think sending it in a hotel, it just got really dull and you have all the very boring conversations throughout and not enough puppets killing people. I reckon that probably they set it in a hotel to keep costs down. So it was literally yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, can definitely. we rent your hotel for our conference, which definitely isn't a puppets killing and wanking <laughs> yeah. people movie. And Again, went, it actually yeah. reminded me of um, some Italian films. It reminded me of the kind of crap that Phil Mirage come up with, you know, Ghost House and Killing Birds and Witchery. They're all mm. kind of set in single locations, large houses. And um, I, I just wished I was watching that for the most part. Um, but yeah, I mean, the puppet bits are good. Uh, I, I'm not going to rush out and watch the 14 sequels, although I'd love The Littlest Reich. I think that's brilliant. Um, but no one else does. <laughs> Is it just what it sounds like? Tiny Nazi it... puppets, I believe. Uh, yeah, I saw, okay. I saw it. At... Cliff, did you see it at Fright Fest as I well? I did, yeah. yeah. But also then I bought the UHD. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so good. Hasn't <laughs> it been established that the guy who directed it is an actual Nazi? The guy who wrote it, S. Yeah. Craig Zala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's a possibly quite a right-wing guy, but he's also a very, very good writer. He's a shit writer. The Littlest Reich is just like a bunch of minorities that Nazis would hate being slaughtered in cruelly ironic ways, written by a guy who's probably uh, a Nazi. That's your Nazi. There's nothing clever about that. That's <laughs> just shit. I just enjoy the fact that the guy who wrote, classy, wrote and directed classy classy. stuff like Bone Tomahawk and... Bone Tomahawk is about as classy as my ass. I mean, come on. <laughs> I really like some of his films, but for some reason they were like really popular with the alt right. Mm. Well, because Bone Tomahawk is basically like, like, look at these indigenous monsters. Ugh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Gross. <laughs> look how they kill the white people. And I know Brawl on Cell Block 99 is also very problematic, but <laughs> I rest my case. If only there'd been some signs in his previous work. And I enjoy the fact that the guy made these classy films and then fucking wrote a Puppet Master reboot. It's just, it's mad. Or oh, um, guy who made a bunch of racist shit made some more racist shit. But with puppets. Yes. There's no class. I know, I know. For the fucking this and the, all the business with the autistic character in uh, The Innocence. Oh, and, and my view on Nanny Hardy and Dashcam. I'm not coming across very well on this episode. I don't mind. <laughs> Is this when you come out and you say you like to listen to Joe Rogan a lot and you're uh, with the alt-right? No, absolutely fucking not. I don't listen to any American podcasts. <laughs> All they do is talk about their shopping and, and what they've done at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, Boring. Yeah. yeah. What'd you do? All right, another long-running dog-based <laughs> franchise is, of course, the Child's Play Chucky series, which we covered in full on episode 47. And perhaps the most over-attempt to rip it off is 1991's Dolly Dearest. Can I drop my post-porn fact? Post-porn fact, post-porn fact, post-porn fact is what CJ's good at. <laughs> Go on, then. Hey, okay, so Maria Lees, the director and co-writer of Dolly Dearest, is a former sexploitation film star from the 60s who in the 70s went on to direct a number of fairly high-profile porn films under the name Joanna Williams. Did you notice who she co-wrote it with in the credits? 
yeah. Maria Leith, Rod Nave, and Peter Sutcliffe. Oh yeah, you have to do He's got to do something in jail, hasn't he? Come on, some of that old basket weaving. <laughs> did I tell you about the rejection letter I got from Peter Sutcliffe? Yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've mentioned it on this, though. You've told me. I was applying for a job in a, in a doctor's surgery, and the main GP man was called Dr. Peter Sutcliffe. So <laughs> I didn't get the job, um, but I did get a rejection letter from Peter Sutcliffe. <laughs> um, I've got an acting fact. Can we do a double whammy back to back post Paul Nan acting? Hold on to your hat. Brian's acting fact. Uh, she was in Star Trek. Oh, of course she's fucking was. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Denise Crosby. She was uh, Natasha Yar. She was in the first series of Star Trek. She thought, I'm not getting enough screen time. Uh, I want more screen time. They went, fuck off. Well, she was like, basically, I'm going to quit or you give me more screen time. So they went, all right, then off you go. So she got murdered midway through season one. And then she did Dolly Dearest and other films. Was it worth it? Was it worth making Dolly Dearest? It's a child's play ripoff. It's it's mm. fine. It doesn't really linger in the memory for um, for that long. But um, seen worse, I guess. The dolls are only responsible for two deaths in the whole oh. thing, mm. and they're, they're both they're not the family that we're following. It's their Mexican servants or whatever, the minor and the maid. Mm. And um, I, I'm just come here to say, build the wall, build the wall. <laughs> not really. Not really. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I'm going to speak up uh, in uh, in defence of Dolly Dearest. I think it is super generic, and it is a really just cheap and obvious child's play ripoff. But it does what you expect when you rent mm-hmm. or stream a movie called Dolly Dearest with a creepy doll on it. You know, there's a creepy doll. Uh, there's a story as to how she becomes a, a creepy doll. Yes, it. You know, deals with folk magic. Uh, and Mexico. 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 But, you know, the doll gets up, kills a few people. I think it does what it needs to do, whereas so many of the films that we watch for this do not. And I respect mm. Dolly Dearest for, for delivering what the public want, which is creepy dolls. If you look at the trailer for it, the start of the trailer plays out like an Argos advert, like a kid mm. getting the doll, and it doesn't feel like it's from the same film in any way. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll look out for that. I'll, I'll... Big fan of Argos adverts. (laughs) (laughs) Dolls, Puppet Master and Dolly Dearest are all made up nonsense, of course, so don't have nightmares. However, how about the true story of Robert as told in 2015 (laughs) Robert? We should have done this one on the uh, true crime episode, surely. Are we sure Robert's really in a facility in Florida? He is. It's just like Annabelle. There is a haunted Robert doll in a facility in Florida. But the thing is, unlike Annabelle, the version in the film is way less creepy than the real one, <laughs> which is a really weird-looking I, I, I like the real Robert. I think he's quite cute in his little yeah. soda suit. And what I'd also say is uh, I think he's blessed, not cursed, because the guy who owned him lived to a very, very old age and nothing actually happened to him that was bad. Oh, Jesus Christ. I just looked at the actual doll. Yeah, that's creepier than the film. That's so much creepier. Maybe there's just something boring like rights issues, like the real Annabelle doll was actually a Raggedy Ann doll. The museum that has it might have a trademark or whatever on it because they yeah, sell... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. They sell replicas. Actually, yeah, the Robert the doll is quite creepy, but also quite cute. It looks like a cross between a little sailor boy and that painting of Jesus that the cleaner fucks up in Spain. <laughs> yeah, he does. The Robert in the film is just like drag king Annabelle. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got really, really mad eyes. And of course, the director, Andrew Jones, prolific oh. director who made the Amityville Asylum that we talked about in episode 13. That's the one where they pronounce it Amityville. Um, he, he obviously can't afford to go to Florida to make this. So it's, uh, it's set in the UK. In the... There's sequels to this film, isn't there? There's three There's like sequels. Seven. Seven, seven sequels. Because the, there was a spin-off series that he did called The Toy Maker, which also features oh, Robert the Doll. Uh, and it like builds up so that Robert fights Nazis in one, and then he goes to Russia <laughs> and fights like Stalinists. But are they uh, all filmed in Wales? Please tell me they are. I think they're all shot in Wales. Oh, I bloody hate Nazis, and I like being a doll. <laughs> Someone comes in in a Russian army hat and goes, "This is definitely Russia." Yeah. I mean, you know, Andrew Jones is not a filmmaker. It's a shame that we have to watch his home movies. I would give this one more of a pass than the glossy, aforementioned, early 20th century grey filtered Hollywood bollocks that we've watched, though, just because it is low budget. And also because the scene where uh, Robert creeps up on someone reminded me a little bit of like an evil version of Tots TV. (laughs) Where you see his little legs. Sac magique. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least at least anybody given a camera could make something as incompetent as Robert. Whereas, you know, forty million dollars on The Conjuring is inexcusable. Yeah, I'm going to defend Robert on account <laughs> of the uh, star Susie Francis Garton. I think is brilliant. I think she's, she's... so bad. <laughs> Cliff, do you enjoy Hollyoaks? No, no, no. Because this is Hollyoaks. I, I enjoy EastEnders and she's got such a horrible, miserable life. Um, and she's married to a pound shop, David Tennant. But I think apart from the lines where she has to say, oh, there's a spooky doll. Oh, I think Robert's alive, which she just can't handle at all. She can't do that kind of horror acting. It's awful. But all the rest of the film where she's just nagging a kid and like being stressed out by everything. Like the bit where she's at home and the cleaner comes round. And she's like, um, oh, I'm just going to the shops. That is just so convincing. Like, that's exactly what happens when the cleaner comes around. You can't stay in the house while the cleaner's there. You just have to make some awkward excuse and go to the shops. Uh, you, don't want fucking you, might, you might need to have a cleaner to relate yeah, to this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say her performance is as good as Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. Such a good performance. <laughs> I think she's really good. She does a decent-ish job with the non-horror bits, but the script is terrible. Yeah. And also, I have an issue with the way that they've treated the fact that her character has had some sort of mental illness, which they clearly mm. can't um, put a name to, which I understand, because once you start talking about a real thing, then you've got to actually do research, and, you know, they, they weren't <laughs> that bothered about doing that. They wanted to do creepy Tots TV stuff. But it's just, just like, oh, it's all about my illness. And her husband's all like, well, love, it's mm. because you had that diagnosis of your illness that makes you see things. And you're like, this is a really shit way to treat someone's mental health. But it's because oh. they, they really want you to know that she's not stressed, she's nuts. Yeah, well, there is also a little bit of a theme with some of these movies where it's like there's a creepy doll, but there's also a lady who's a bit weird and a yeah. bit mad. <laughs> my favourite or least favourite moment in Robert is actually at the very end uh, mm. during those extremely tense climactic scenes of someone slowly running a bath. Well, someone else slowly <laughs> washes up paintbrushes. You know, I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, and that very tense climax was ruined by the brief shot of the cameraman in the mirror, uh, where you see full-body cameraman holding the camera with, with a beard. And I just thought, like, hmm. obviously anybody can make a goof, but at the time when you're editing it, surely you would just think, we've already had five minutes of someone running a bath we don't need this extra shot with the cameraman in it while someone's running a bath. I Inadvertently, just... you've just made the second uh, Michael Jackson reference of the episode. 
What? Is you looking at the man in the mirror? Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. And then later on, we watch a black and white film. <laughs> oh, yeah. And most of these films are bad. Yay. <laughs> as well as the woman with mental illness see spooky shit trope, there's also the spooky, creepy old person trope. Yeah. And it, I do like the fact that she's like, oh, I'm sorry I had to fire you. And she goes, well, you will be. And that was Poundland Lynchy as well. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they go around to visit her, the neighbour's this guy with a really exaggerated American accent. What's the story? This is presumably rural Wales. Why is there this guy who's all like, I've not seen her around these parts? It's really weird. <laughs> they filmed it all in the UK, but they wanted to make it look like the opening yeah. was yes. somehow in America. Yeah. yeah, It's all film sales tactics, and that, that's all mm. these films exist for. Like Nobody gives a shit about these films, least of all Andrew Jones. He's just literally <laughs> churning these out to make like a couple of thousand pounds a time. and That's why he makes like three or four of these a year. It's product. There's no there's no feeling in these. Asda sells these. Well, they did. But you'll notice that most supermarkets now uh, don't sell DVDs. And that's because of films like this, in my opinion, where people stopped buying them because the quality just dropped to such a level that no one in their right mind would, would keep buying them. So I think Andrew Jones has helped kill DVD. Is it financially worth this guy's while to make these films? That's what I'm wondering. Uh, yeah, on a small level, yeah. I mean, but you've got to bear in mind they cost virtually nothing. Just I spent literally five and a half hours minuting meetings yesterday, so I'm thinking this might be an easier career change for me. <laughs> anyway. But I, I think you've got to have a particular mentality to do what he does that is very egomaniacal, because I, I think somewhere... I am a stand-up comedian, CJ, so, you know, <laughs> that's saying, that's most of the way there... That's true. Yeah, I don't think any of his films on IMDb have higher than like a four. No, and you'd think that at some point, if you actually cared, you would think, hmm, people don't like my movies. But instead, he just chases whatever will appeal on the packaging. So, you know, he's been doing a lot of like true crime style films lately because that's obviously very popular. So he's done like, you know, I don't know, John Wayne Gacy versus the Green River Killer or whatever, you know, which is incredibly tasteless. In Wales. Uh, yeah, in Wales, obviously, obviously. <laughs> So far we've talked about films where dolls unexpectedly come alive and kill people, but then there are films where the dolls aren't alive, but the characters act as if they are. For example, in 1988, psychological thriller Pin. I think this is the weirdest of the bunch that we've watched. I wasn't expecting this. It did feel like an episode of Goosebumps. I think it was just because when it had the opening of the kids going to the house yeah. and looking through the window and the kid falling down, that's how all of the old 90s episodes of Goosebumps used to open. Presumably more sex than Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, there was never a nurse having sex. Unless there's like the Goosebumps, the movie Six Slappy gets some. I mean, there might be. <laughs> <laughs> and he is called Slappy, so that must have an explanation. I touched on Pin uh, last month. It's great. It's weird. It's very, very weird. It's kind of like a real mix of gothic horror, but then there's like a real kind of TV movie feel to it as well. Yeah. Mm. But that, I, that was so big in the 80s, that, like Virginia yeah. Andrews stuff, because obviously Flowers in the Attic was the book and then they turned it into the very popular... And the, the person that's TV been writing Virginia Andrews' book since Virginia it, Andrews yeah. died is the guy that wrote Pin. So, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It, all, it all adds oh, up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they've got two blonde siblings and there's kind of yeah. like incesty undertones is very Virginia Andrews-y. I remember really liking Pin when I was a teenager and I, it's, it's, it doesn't stand up as 
you know, I was expecting to like it more when I rewatched it, but it's a little bit disappointing. But when Terry Quinn leaves the film, it becomes less good, basically, because Terry Quinn is great. Mm. Um, yeah. But it did bring back so many teenage memories. Like, I mean, this is awful, but... Did you break into his doctor's surgery and um, <laughs> have you wound up and a doll? Talk with doll? <laughs> no. <laughs> but the bit where the nurse is wanking with the doll on top of her reminded me of this is so awful remind me of something a mate told me that she was staying at her uncle's house and he was out and she fancied a wank and the dog was in the room the uncle had a big dog and she allowed the dog to sort of lay on top of her so she had a bit of weight on top of her while she was wanking at which point her uncle walked in the room <laughs> how the fuck do you explain that i mean this, this sounds like one of those letters to penthouse from back yeah. in the <laughs> um <laughs> there was a guy who used to walk around town like near our school who looked like terry o'quinn and this is awful, but we used to just shout across the street, go, Leon, Leon. And every walk past, that was really childish and rubbish. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> what the I think you're going to have to explain. There's a man who looked like, like, Terry, like Terry O'Quinn. And we just shouted, Leon, Leon. Why use Leon? Because that's what Terry O'Quinn says in this film. He keeps going, Leon, Leon. Does he? The kid's called Does Leon. He? The kid's called yeah. Leon, yes. Yeah. Wow. You had a very niche I don't understand childhood. the correlation to your friend's dog wanking. Oh, no, separate story. Completely <laughs> separate story. The dog was also <laughs> called Leon. And the third thing it reminded me of is um, there's a bit where Leon and his mate have left mud on the floor. And <laughs> this reminds me of Dane Bowers because... <laughs> <laughs> Dane Bowers from another level because um, one night me and my mates we were doing acid round a mate's house and her little brother came home from football practice uh, with his mate and they bashed their football boots into the bath bashed all the mud off them and uh, in the middle of the night I went for a piss and I thought the bath was full of spiders <laughs> because like, it just seemed I was like it was full of spiders how is that related to Dane Bowers <laughs> Hang I thought on, you were going to say, on. and the mud looked like Dane Bowers. And then the spider had Dane Bowers' face and shouted, Leon, Leon. <laughs> and when I woke up, I was shagging a dog. <laughs> and then my uncle walked in and it was Terry O'Quinn. <laughs> and in the morning, when I'd come down and wasn't tripping anymore, I went into the bathroom and I was like, what were those spiders? And I looked at it, it was just the mud from the kids' football boots. And the kids were, as I said, my mate's little brother. And his mate, who was Dane Bowers. Dane Bowers, okay. <laughs> that was too much excitement. Um, too many twists, too many turns. Yeah. It was like watching someone explain the plot of Saw, but with Dane Bowers. <laughs> okay, uh, in 2016's The Boy, an elderly couple have a doll called Brahms that they pretend is their actual son, and a new nanny has to look after it while they go off to secretly top themselves. This starts off with kind of like a semi-decent sort of spooky gothic premise it's the kind of thing that like the lady that wrote the woman in black like susan hill could probably write a good novella about this Aww. um but it goes downhill very very quickly well, the thing is because brahms isn't actually alive the only way it can get any kind of scares out of it is just by having dream sequences where yeah. he is yeah, alive. With jump scares oh, yeah so many dream sequences that's what annoyed me the most when i saw it in the cinema that first jump scare with the painting she has a double dream does she yeah. have a double dream sequence yeah. at one point yeah, she goes she into does. one and out of one. The worst thing about it is she's just walking around in the dark. And then she's dreaming about walking around in the dark. 
And then she's walking around in the dark. Yeah. It's just like, oh, <laughs> God, this is so boring. I did think that maybe towards the end it was going to pick up when the twist happens. Because when mm-hmm. you first see like the full-size Brahms, I thought it was like some kind of giant, weird, twisted, animated thing with a China mask on. But, you know, sometimes they say you only see what you want to see. So I wanted <laughs> yeah. something interesting and weird to happen, and it didn't. I need to stop trusting William Brent Bell after the devil inside like i don't know why i thought after the devil inside he's just proved every single time that he really can't make a good horror and have you ever messaged him and gone more like william brent bellend let's all do it (laughs) oh yeah yeah um and the sequel uh in which uh weirdly brahms is alive (laughs) can you please tell me why the sequel they do shots in london but the film is filmed in canada and why it has to be that they're going to hemel hempstead (laughs) that's the place they're going this is is the weird thing i had this conversation with sarah while we're watching it because when they get to the house i was like this doesn't look like hemel and then everybody's talking with a northern accent and sarah was like yeah they put the sign in because it says hemel hempstead and the north so you know that they're driving to the north but they seemed more in on hemel hempstead so i was like oh they're going to hemel hempstead that was just what i thought as well because they show the london skyline Mm. and then they show a house on a street in london and then when i was watching this with lizzie she said to me they're never actually going to show them outside the house or in these areas, are they? Because mm. they're not actually in these areas. Like when they're driving on the motorway mm. in England, you never see them in the car. You only ever see them yeah. when they get to the destination. It's like the country and two yeah, set in Enfield yeah. in Essex and they show you where it is by like having shots of Tower Bridge and Piccadilly. Well, they, they actually somewhere. play fucking London Calling <laughs> London at the top calling. of that footage oh, as well. Just Christ. <laughs> hammer it home. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a line in the first of the boy film where the English homeowner says, This is a country house. Do you know what that means? It's like, Yeah. yeah. Apparently, it means it's full of cunts. <laughs> 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 so, Katie Holmes is in. She Brahms used to be an actress. A, she? like, she's a big, big name, isn't she? But she escaped Scientology and now she's in. Brahms, the boy too. I was checking IMDb to see if I've ever seen her or anything else. I haven't. And, but uh, her bio. IMDb biographies can be weird, can't they? Because hers begins. Born two months premature. <laughs> I guess that was the first thing she did. Two months before anyone expected her to do anything. But I, I think <laughs> I think if these Brahms films were better written, there's potential for a proper yeah. convoluted yeah, yeah. saw type franchise mm. with loads of retconning yeah. and all that. And I'd like that, but they, it hasn't got off to a strong start. There's so much to like in them, but there is, as Luke says, this gigantic incompetence from the writer-director that takes all the fun out. But I love love the doll. I think Brahms is a great doll. I love the rules. Uh, I love the Mm. weird, weird twist in the second film where Brahms is like Dr. Freudstein underneath, (laughs) you know, when he's in the boiler room (laughs) and he's got that weird Freudstein face. You know, there's so much cool stuff going on, but they are just boring and messy for the most part. The annoying thing as well is, like we said with the first film, it goes from dream sequence into another dream sequence. Mm. And they do that again in this. It's yeah. like, you did it with the first film. Why do we need to have dream sequence again, even though there's supernatural this time? That's how you know it's a Brahms film. It wouldn't be the Brahms cinematic universe <laughs> without the dream <laughs> sequence. <laughs> now that I think about it, like Brahms, the composer, is famous for his lullabies. So maybe mm, there's an uh, intentional... I wonder if, if the reason why he's called Brahms, and indeed the, the score for like the, certainly the first film, was just somebody played Brahms' lullaby or heard it and went, oh, that's a little bit creepy. Mm, I know. The most highbrow thing that's ever been said on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can we talk about willies? We could talk about willies and Brahms lullaby because I'm a multitasker. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, okay, I'm not sure where the next one fits in. It's a weird one. South Korean film, Suddenly in the Dark. Uh, from 1981, in which a married woman is sort of tormented by a doll that their new live-in maid has brought with her. And it seems to have some sort of vague psychological impact on her, despite possibly being completely innocuous. It's a very strange film. I really like it. Though. I really like this. This took me by surprise how mad it is. Mm. In a way, this feels quite a lot like an Italian film because it's got mm. the um, the filter effects, but also the whole idea of like certain scenes that are kind of broken up into sections, like you're looking through a kaleidoscope. Yeah. It's very, very weird. It's got a kind of like a proggy kind of sound track that comes in every now and then you can totally imagine like camille keaton or mimsy farmer in that lead role yeah i just love the fact that that she's called mimsy farmer <laughs> no i was gonna say just the fact that you said mimsy farmer and we all nodded sagely and i was like why is nobody going mimsy <laughs> <laughs> how do you grow mimsies anyway <laughs> <laughs> you are a Mimsy farmer. He comes from a long line of Mimsy farmers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's time to harvest the Mimsy. <laughs> the Mimsies are very small this year due to lack of rain. I've been sowing Mimsy over this field for 55 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, there's weevils in the Mimsies. <laughs> <laughs> My Mimsy's going to rot. We can't afford the fruit pickles anymore. <laughs> Mimsy as high as your eye. Cliff, I think we can move on to the next film now. Oh, yeah. um, no, because um, <laughs> I, I, what I like about Suddenly in the Dark is that bit where she first sees the doll in the house and like she's really scared and then she looks again and, oh, phew, it's not a scary doll. It's just a taxidermy of two stuffed snakes fighting a stuffed mm. mongoose. There's Fine. a lot of taxidermy in this house. Yeah. There's like more and more scenes. Like, there's a scene of her backing away terrified and my focus was completely pulled by the fact that there's like a stuffed pig in the corner of the room. Yeah, but... yeah very intense production design in this. Well, the idea is that they're fairly kind of bougie, aren't they? Because like the, the husband's a scientist and a university lecturer and the woman's sort of rattling around on her own in this quite grand house all day. Have you seen an old South Korean film called The Housemaid from like the early 60s, I think? No. Because this, this is really, really similar in a lot of ways. I feel like there's a very direct inspiration. It's kind of like the same plot, but with a creepy doll thrown in. What you said about the production design being good, I mean, there is a scene where the housemaid has a bath that just looks like it's filled with piss. But as she lays down in the bath of piss, she says something like, ooh, so warm. <laughs> Fresh piss. Lovely. I wondered if maybe that was the wife going, I don't trust this girl. So it's like, no, no, go and have a bath. It's not piss. The woman is, <laughs> it's definitely not piss. <laughs> it's piss. <laughs> Maybe the production, because everything else is amazing, they didn't have enough money to put water into the film, so they just got yeah. all the crew to just. <laughs> just... Well, maybe they'll be really like efficient, like that Bergheim Club in Germany, where they save all the piss for the fetish night. <laughs> Only Cliff is nodding at that. I mean, it sounds like the sort of thing Germans would do. That's all I'm, yeah. I'm nodding at. It was very efficient because, like, they have normal club nights, and on like a Saturday they have the fetish night. But they save oh, all the. the do you piss. remember there used to be a pissing club down here in Brighton called Did um, Tom's? No, Tom's. Yeah, I think it was called Tom's. It was in the lanes. Um, and then after it got shut down, or shut down, I don't know if it got <laughs> shut down as such, but um, it then got turned into a sandwich shop. Oh. Sandwich shop. Yeah. I, 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 oh dear. I mean, no, I, I'm never going to buy a sandwich from a sandwich shop. I know a by club. a pissing club, you mean a fetish club where people get involved in piss-related activities. But when you said a pissing club, my head immediately went to it being like a sport. <laughs> pissing pissing Welcome to the clubhouse of the pissing club. <laughs> then we have a delightful pissing green. <laughs> that sandwich shop is still with the pickles. That's not in brine. 
That's uh, <laughs> still using up the old which stuff. Sandwich, I'm, I'm intrigued as to which sandwich shop it was. I don't think it's even a sandwich shop anymore. Probably because word mm. got out about <laughs> or smelling and tasting of piss. Pissy sandwiches. <laughs> that was the name of the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a giveaway. Anyway, that's an odd one, but uh, we're on much more solid ground with good old ventriloquist dummies, such as 1963's Devil Doll and 2006's Dead Silence. So, taking them each in turn, Devil Doll. I enjoyed Devil Doll. Devil Doll is fun. I I didn't know anything about the director. I I looked him up. I thought this was going to be someone whose career would mostly have been directing, like, kind of burlesque go-go movies, because there's quite a lot of, like, sexy lady dancing going on. He did do some some sexy movies. uh, Oh, okay. Most notably, a film called Permissive. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is brilliant. He got commissioned to to do this as a like the world of sexy groupies, and he made the bleakest, most depressing sex exploitation um... movie you, you've ever heard with it with a score by uh, Comus, who are like a very strange folk nightmare band. Uh, and yeah, Permissive is absolutely brilliant but it's sort of a sexploitation film but but not uh he, he definitely mm. dabbled in it sexploitation is one thing but i know that there was like a whole stream of kind of sexploitation films that were just literally cashing in on sort of burlesque go-go mm, dancing mm. and the reason why i say that is that aside from the kind of like oh spooky puppet the scenes that he's clearly photographed with a lot of care and attention are the woman being hypnotised to do the crazy dancing and the woman that does a striptease. Mm. It's almost like, like, well, yeah, I know what the director's interested in. He's like, yeah, yeah, fine, get the fucking puppet in. They're like, and then, or every single scene, he's like, yeah, there's a lady in here. Can we get her to dance in this scene? No, we've already had two lady dancing teams. All right, can we have another scene with boobs then? All right, one more scene with boobs. We've watched the British version. According to IMDb, the international version contains a scene which explains the motivation for Magda's murder, while the British version replaces this with a stage performance in which a woman is hypnotised and stripped topless. Makes me proud to be British. (laughs) (laughs) They should have made a do to the Dan Busters march, but apart from that... I think the thing that made me laugh too much is the first time when he hypnotised that woman and says, now you become a dancer... Mm. And then it's the worst dancing I have ever seen. <laughs> oh no, were you pumped, Luke? <laughs> Got excited for a big dancing. <laughs> there I was, settling down to an episode of Strictly. And... <laughs> She got a tits at. Okay, Dead Silence, right? When I first watched Dead Silence, I I thought it was so boring, apart from the brilliant Saw-style ending. I knew you'd like that fucking ending. And re-watching it, loved it. Thought it was really good. Well, I didn't love it, but I, I, it's so much better. I used to love Dead Silence. And then when I watched it this time, I thought it was really, really bad this time around. Like, there's some fun moments, but that ending just doesn't really add up that well and it just makes it hilarious. Well, the thing is, the ending is so well done. But if you think about it, it doesn't really have a lot to do with the plot. (laughs) It's just a sort of bit on the side, isn't it? Yeah, they didn't think it through. I imagine what happened is that James Wan and Lee Winnell had that idea of, ah, you got this guy, Mm -hmm. and then at the end you find out this. And and they said, well, well, that's not going to fill a whole film, is it? What are we going to do? I know, ghosts. Yeah. And the ghost bit doesn't get explained. Mm. And then the studio just said, here's shitloads of money, because you've just had a big hit. Here's a load of cocaine. You work out the rest. <laughs> you can have Donnie Wahlberg as well. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, Donnie Wahlberg, who was constantly shaving. Yeah. That was his character. Yeah. He was yeah. constantly character. shaving and constantly going, "I don't believe you. I'm a cynical cop." But Donnie Wahlberg, I mean, he's really good in it. All he does is grow a tash, and he's a completely different character from the cop in uh, Saw <laughs> <laughs> 
he does his rumpled cop thing really, really well. He does. Yeah. He does I love really Donnie Wahlberg. Can we talk about the poem in Dead Silence and how shit it is? Because right from the opening <laughs> scene, the, the opening scene is so off-kilter because they receive a doll in the mail. Uh, like, mm. oh, yeah. well, yeah, I guess somebody could send us a creepy doll. And then out the blue, I think he just says, uh, hmm... This reminds me of that thing when we were kids. And then they start <laughs> reciting the poem that is the shittest poem ever. It Beware the stare of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. And maybe it's Cliff's pronunciation of dolls that they were thinking of. She had no children, only doors. Uh, but it just it doesn't rhyme. It just sounds... <laughs> Oh. I love the fact that the creepiest thing they can think of is a woman who's got no children. No children, only yeah. dolls. It's, oh, it's awful. I'm guessing, Cliff, you enjoyed Billy the Puppet appearing in this, though. Oh, well, I mean, he appears in all their films, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he even appears in the superhero ones that they do now. Does he? Yeah. Well, um, Annabelle appears in Aquaman. She's under the sea. Best place for her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the titular Dead Silence is a weird gimmick, isn't it? The score stops and the soundtrack slows down a bit and then the characters are all like, oh, it's really silent. So what was the score playing in their world? Was, <laughs> yes. It makes absolutely no sense. They were going to do it as diegetic sound. There was going to be a full orchestra in the background yeah. of every scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I did keep waiting for it to get as boring as I remembered and it never did. I wow. enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but... It, yeah, nothing about it makes sense. It's, it's just undiluted James Wan. Mm. Uh, right, so far we've seen dolls that come to life and kill, dolls that mess with people's minds and dolls with minds of their own. But what we haven't looked at are dolls that just sit there and do fuck all and don't have fuck all to do with anything <laughs> but just look good on a poster. Enter Annabelle. We covered Annabelle's first solo non-adventure over five years ago. Five years ago in episode four. So long. I think we're starting to get the hang of it. Uh, anyway, our second feature is David F. Sandberg's 2017 prequel, Annabelle Creation. Janice says she's seen your daughter. My daughter has been dead for a very long time. She was taken from us at an early age. We prayed to see our beloved girl again. The contact started small. to move into a doll so that it could be with us forever. We said yes. Your sister is coming after me. Who? In the evil presence. It's because I'm the weakest. It's the doll. The devil. Annabelle? The parents of a girl who was killed in an accident 12 years earlier open the doors of their remote home to some orphaned girls and their nun guardian, only for loads of spooky stuff to happen to them, possibly because of the dead daughter's doll, even though this is a prequel that takes place before the doll becomes cursed. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's just dismal. The fact that so much money went into this is unbelievable because nothing happens throughout the whole movie. Uh, and I, I feel personally persecuted by the Annabelle movies because I love creepy dolls. I love the Annabelle doll. And I get so excited when I see the Annabelle doll on like a, a poster because I'm like, that's mm. a cool doll. And every single Annabelle movie, the doll does nothing. She just yeah. does nothing. Oh, it's ripping off the audience. I hate these movies. I hate Gary Doberman. He needs to get back in his kennel and stop. <laughs> he wrote it, didn't he? Yeah, he wrote it, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I forgot he was an actual dog who wrote films. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that, that explains so much. Yeah. yeah. So we have spoken about this and uh, also Annabelle Comes Home when, when they were in the cinema. Because I had this but... as a high one month. Oh, wow. You had this as a high. Were you high? I enjoy animal creation. I don't know what it was. I enjoy it. I think probably the main thing is because I hate the first film so much. So I think I went into this thinking I was going to hate this as well, but being surprised by it. When I look at it now, it does um, with, is it David F. Sandberg? Is that his Mm -hmm. um, director? It does also do the whole thing of, oh, I made Lights Out, so I'm going to do things from Lights Out in this. Like when the scarecrow starts to appear because the car headlights go out and it's like you've taken that from your other film. But... I don't know, I find some bits of this creepy. I think it worked. There are loud jump scares, overly used, but I enjoyed it. Uh, Would it change your opinion, Luke, if you knew that David F. Sandberg used to use the pseudonym Pony Smasher to make his films? It just sounds like a dubstep song or something. (laughs) Sounds like a a 15-year-old has chosen that as his MCing name. Yeah. Uh, Is that how he used to release his films? Yeah, Pony Smasher. Wow. Fucking hell. All lowercase. Why? Why? Uh, Sounds edgy. I don't know. He was a really hardcore brony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sound like my... There's a few good bits like Trick of the Light kind of thing. I like the bit where the sheet is thrown over Annabelle and then something changes with the lighting. You can't tell if she's standing up or if the lighting is just making it look like that. And that's that's quite an effective bit. But but of course she doesn't. So the most exciting part in the movie is where you think the doll's going to move, but she doesn't. She doesn't. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of it's very predictable like a lot of the spooky stuff is like well that's gonna happen because that cupboard is in frame so that could oh like she's only taking up a third of the screen and like that dark corridor is taking up two thirds so there's gonna be like a little spooky ghost there like a lot of this is really obvious and i'm an idiot and if i can predict this yeah you know the hitchcock's famous thing about if you've got a bomb under a table and it just goes off, then that's a surprise. But if you see the bomb under the table, oh. then you're like, oh, when's this going to mm. go off? When's this? Mm. They've never heard that. So everything just, like, there's just a scene and then suddenly something sudden happens. There's no sense of dread. There's no suspense. Mm. There's nothing to get scared of and there's no story. in these films. Yeah, that is the thing with every single one of the films in the Conjuring universe now. Whenever there is a silence, yeah. like the character starts looking around. Mm. I know in the next five seconds that person's going to get pulled up in the air or someone's going to come running through a door at the side of them. There's nothing surprising anymore. These films are incredibly predictable. The scores are always the same. Like, I do enjoy this, but I do understand what you're saying, how it's an incredible predictable film, because it is. I hated this slightly less than The Conjuring. (laughs) But I hated The Conjuring. I want to see that on a poster. <laughs> there was some, there were some scenes that looked nice, and I thought the um, the little ginger girl with the bobbed hair did a did a good job with her shit. Oh, but their voices they they all speak with that vocal fry that young women have these days, and it's meant to be set in the sixties right, when granddad. people didn't speak like that. What vocal fry are you chatting about? You know, and they're, they're like that. They're all like this, and like that's not how people spoke in the sixties, <laughs> and it's really hard to understand. Oh. <laughs> I think some of it is the dialogue they're reading makes them sound really weird. Mm. There's this scene really early on where the two girls are in the car and one of them's like, oh, I wish we were going to a home and not an orphanage. And then the other one's like, yeah, it really sucks being orphans. And they're like, yeah, being an orphan's terrible. We're so sad. <laughs> and it just, it, they repeat like the same thing over and over again so that you know that they're orphans. They've not heard of Show Don't Tell either for this. Mm. <laughs> mm. 
And I don't know why these films are so bloody long. And it's all so random, the things that happen. Things happen just because the writer, the director thinks it looks cool without any kind of Mm. rhyme or reason. So there's a bit Mm. where the girl Janice, she's attacked by a reflection of B and whisked away like into some sort of other dimension for a bit. And then like suddenly she's thrown back and flung to the floor. Right. Okay. Why? Why Why did that happen, though? What's the point? I think it's probably just, let's just throw another thing at the wall. And yeah. if this film makes over a billion dollars, we can make a spin-off movie Exactly. About it. And that, I think that's what the problem is with, with these movies. Coming soon, The Cupboard. Yeah. I mean, that completely extraneous scene with the photo of the nuns. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but it's like they have to move the photo in a certain yeah. way. for the, So it's like a lenticular photo mm. they've somehow got with the nun appearing. That bit, now that bit annoyed me because they did the same with um, the Curse of La Llorona. The priest in that film was meant to have been with Annabelle before, but it doesn't make any sense as to why Annabelle appeared in that film. It's just out of nowhere. Annabelle's a little slut. Oh God, I want to close my laptop lid so badly. <laughs> I hate this film. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's sapping me of life just talking about these films. They're, they're like the absolute dross of horror, you know? I watched Animal Comes Home and it was like, oh yeah, we'll talk about it later, but I don't want to. I'm not going to. You can't make me. I don't want to give Gary Doberman any more treats. I don't want to give him any more <laughs> of my time, you know? Let's do scary noises. Come on, I'm done. The only thing about Annabelle Comes Home that I will say is that they have the original doll actually appear on the TV yeah. in that. And that doesn't make sense mm. to really what's happening. But, but, but they... surely it's it's just this culture of, and I, I hate to even use the term because I hate it, like Easter eggs, where you have these viewers yeah, who, who just yeah. go to the mm. cinema so they can go, oh, I recognise that. Oh, I've seen yeah. that. Oh, that's a thing I know. And they feel dreadfully clever. And that, that mm-hmm. seems to be all these films are. And, and of course, you know, the cynical reflection of that is that the studios like doing it because it just sells the next film and the next film. And, and it creates this captive audience who just like going, oh, yeah, I've seen that. I know that. Mm. Uh, they're just idiotic. Movies. They're going to milk the Conjuring universe for like spooky haunted spoon. Mm-hmm. Like all the items oh, in yeah. that fucking room. Oh, yeah. Just like, what about glasses? And you put them on and you see you're dead. <laughs> what about <laughs> spoon? And when you use the spoon, you're dead. <laughs> But you're not even dead because no one dies in these movies. No. Like, how about go home? Somebody grazes a knee and that's that's it. Spooky tampon. You use the tampon and then you're not dead. <laughs> but you could be. Well, that's exactly my problem with Annabelle Comes Home is that the Warrens make all this fuss about how Annabelle is the most evil thing in their collection. So they keep mm-hmm. it locked up in a glass cage. And then when Annabelle's let out of the glass cage in Annabelle Comes Home, what happens? A night of weird shit happening and no one dies. Like, it's just not that yeah. fucking evil. You get the Clapping Monkey. They'll probably get a spin-off film for that soon, the Clapping oh, Monkey. They will. they will. This is absolutely true, right? A mate of mine works in a pharmacy, and um, after someone has died, their family will bring all the medication in so that they can dispose of it safely. Mm. And somebody brought in a bag that had an old person's medication and also one of those symbol monkeys. <laughs> wow. Which smelt very, very strongly of cigarettes. Um, but my mate took it home and febrezed it, and um, as far as we can tell, it's not cursed. But it is creepy. That's how the film starts. It starts in a pharmacy, and they're like, "Ooh!" and they febreze it, and the monkey's like, "You shouldn't have febreze." <laughs> it's about a haunted can of febreze. It's <laughs> we get the febreze cinematic universe. Next. <laughs> 
Yeah, because the, the last victim touched the Febreze and therefore their spirit went into it and turns out they're really angry. And then years in the future, someone else used a can of Febreze, unrelated, but it was also haunted. Mm. Well, there's different scents, aren't there? So we're looking at mm. at least four or five. Mm. It'd be like the Marvel different like cycles that it will go through. Yeah. Mm. Phase one, phase two. So cotton fresh, yep. um, lavender. Cotton Fresh is the worst title for a horror franchise I've ever heard. <laughs> Something smells spooky. <laughs> well, to paraphrase Two Chains, yeah, Annabelle's shit. She should have Febreze on her. And on that note, let's find out how shit our devils are at recognising this month's scary noises. Yay! <laughs> okay, here's your first pair. Simply that you are laughing while I am talking. What's wrong with that? Oh, it's an old ventriloquist trick. Yes, Emily. The music is Last Night in Soho. Yep. And the dialogue? You know what I'm like. If I get one thing right, I'm like, oh, I like the thing. Uh, so, I actually thought you were waiting to identify them both for that sweet bonus point. But uh, I, To um, be honest, I wasn't. It was an old-timey man going. That's what he said. <laughs> That's what he said. That's what I heard. Um, Getting in on the Bryony thing of recreating it. Can oh. I hear that again, please, Luke? <laughs> uh, is it Devil Doll? It is Devil Doll. You do have that sweet bonus point. <laughs> was it the um, was it the, the American journalist man who was like, "Hey, Mac, I'm in Berlin having sex with ladies." Um, is it him? Simply that you are laughing while I am talking. Oh, it's that guy. Oh, it's an old ventriloquist trick. They're all doing it now. It's corny. Perhaps we can show the audience a variation on the theme. Give me some wine. I want some wine. Dummy. Drinking wine. Such a lifeless stage presence. (laughs) It's just rubbish. That dummy voice sounds like the baddie in Some Like It Hot. And it was just like a sort of goon going, (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's your second pair. One night, your mother took you out for a walk in the buggy where you couldn't sleep. When she came back, you weren't with her. Yes, CJ. Uh, I know what the music's from, but I've actually forgotten the title. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> is it uh, Suddenly in the Dark? No. Ah. Did you get the dialogue? No. Emily and Luke, music and dialogue. One night, your mother took you out for a walk in the buggy where you couldn't sleep. When she came back, you weren't with her. Remember where she'd been. Uh, is it the boy, the music? Nope, 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 nope. Nothing then, uh, yeah. Uh, the music was uh, Dolly Dearest, and um, the dialogue was from You Are Not My Mother. You Are Not My Mother! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am! Yes, I am, the sequel. Yes, I am! <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three. Very large. Children made his lifeless eyes. Sees nasty legs and 
Emily, were you shaking there? Yeah. I thought it was part of the music. Yeah, it sounded, it part of the sounded music. like you're joining in. <laughs> yeah, I was just, just jamming. I wasn't. wasn't um... <laughs> uh, it was the music suddenly in the dark. Uh, yes, it was. And the dialogue. Uh, don't know. He said, he said, children's eyes. That's what he said. <laughs> Is it children's eyes? <laughs> not children's eyes. Uh, say, Jeff Riley. Very large. Children made his lifeless eyes. Sees nasty legs and tongues. Watching. Here's a bag. What's inside? Does he sick or does he mind? Oh, it's like a poem. He's like, You've got some children's eyes in my oh, back. Does he hide? Now you've done that, you're reminding me of uh, The Lighthouse, which was just like people gurning and going, Arr, arr, yeah, throughout the whole film. Do you like mermaid vagina there? <laughs> Should we go for The Lighthouse? Have you shagged a lobster? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, so why not? Is it's it not? Uh, but... No, no, it's possum. Oh, oh okay. Uh, halfway through, it's 4-0 to Luke and Emily. Here's your fourth oh, wow. pair. Stop being so ridiculous! But mum! Well, that's enough! Yes, Emily. The dialogue is from Robert. Yes, that brilliant actor I was talking about. He's <laughs> so good. And music? Uh, it was... Something that sounded like someone mumbling in space. I don't know. All right, music for CJ and Bryony to get. Stop being so ridiculous! But mum! Well, that's enough! What you've done is very mean. You are not coming anywhere near my studio ever again. Do you hey. understand me? Hey. <laughs> on, yeah. We're painting downstairs. Jeans splash paint all over it. It's a shame about her painting downstairs, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> It sounds really familiar. It sounds like spooky space. It sounds like Italian space. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Alien 2 on Earth? No, it's not Italian space. It's French gay porn. Uh, uh, knife oh. plus heart. Ah, I saw that not too long ago. Uh, number five. Open your eyes. Why haven't you recognised the Lord Supreme? He who can pulverise your bones and dry up the blood in your veins. He who has allowed you to work your stupid arts of magic. And now you try to use that magic against me. Yes, Emily. Uh, the music is The Boy. It is not The Boy. Boys to, boy to? Boys to Men. I was going to say Boys to Boys. <laughs> Bad Boys 2. Um, is it a boy 2? About a boy. Did you get the dialogue? I didn't get the dialogue, but I love that it sounded like whatever was talking had to clear their throat at one point <laughs> to, to, to carry on talking. I think she's clearing her stomach, really. But, um, <laughs> no, so music and dialogue for CJ and Brian to get. I think you might get the music, you know. Open your eyes. Why haven't you recognised the Lord Supreme? He who can pulverise your bones and dry up the blood in your veins. He who has allowed you to work your stupid arts of magic. And now you try to use that magic against me. I'm going to put a punt on the music. Mm -hmm. um, is it dead silent? It's not. Sorry, Emily, it was Brahms the boy too. Uh, you said the boy originally, so. Uh, and the dialogue was from the Antichrist. Uh, Amazed you didn't get that. Yeah. So with the scores at 5-0 to Luke and Emily, <laughs> here's the final pair anyway. 
Any more questions? All right. Let's begin with the male sexual apparatus. Yes, AJ. Dialogue is from Pin. Pin. Yes. I heard male sexual organs and was like, yes, that's <laughs> Pin. And the music. Bryony, could you sing it? Oh, yeah, hang on. Um... <laughs> oh, that's well. Coronation Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was that movie that I really hated? Beyond the Black Rainbow. No, it's not that. It's not that. <laughs> okay. um, Luke and Emily, can you get the music? Any more questions? All right, let's begin with the male sexual apparatus. Leon, take the towel off my lap. Leon. Do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I know it's opening title music, but I can't. <laughs> I can't think what the thing. No, it's don't breathe. Uh, yeah, it's weirdly opening credit style sequence, but it comes at the end of the film. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that is five one to Luke and Emily. Well done. Next month, it's my choice of theme, and I've gone for Mad Scientists. Uh, one of the features will be the 1968 film Corruption, aka Carnage. And for the other feature, Luke and Emily, you get to pick. Could be one scary noises. Sweet. The human centipede. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to choose the human centipede, I'm afraid, Luke. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I've, uh... Can we go all arty and go for the skin I live in? Cool. So, yeah, Corruption and Skin I Live In next month. And as we come to the end of this month's show, I'm reminded of something a famous puppet once said. That's the way to do it. And by it, he meant giving us five-star reviews on iTunes so that we climb up those charts that I've never even looked at, but I presume we're on there somewhere. So, five-star reviews, that's the way to do it. See you next month. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 